It's 2020. We want that perfect crop. here on realagriculture.com for Wednesday, January the 22nd on this episode of The Word. As you can probably tell, my voice is not great. It might be a little bit of a short episode. We'll get through as much as we can. We're going to start with dismal yields. Dang, I was hoping nobody was this bad, but yeah, apparently last year there were some people that really didn't do too well. After that, some cool cereal information. Where do we go to get more yield? That coming out of Cereal Smart, that's neat. Some corn questions, particularly around test weight that I think we have to to chat about and also about protein and silage. Then planting decisions and finish up because as soon as I mention manure on the word, man, I get lots of feedback, lots of questions. So we will try to finish up at the end with a little bit again about manure. Let's go. So yields provincially. Yields very good, way better than we ever expected, but individual counties, individual areas, individual farmers, Kawartha Lakes, average corn yield, 99 bushels per acre, average soybean yield, 24 bushels per acre. So corn sub 100 bushels per acre as a county average? When did that happen last? Man, that's going back 20 years. And the soybean yield at 24 bushels per acre is only 59% of their long-term average. That is hardcore harsh. Uh, It's really rare that you would get a 40% yield reduction. That's way outside of the normal parameters. Simcoe County, another caller there saying, hey, Peter, Simcoe County, 120 bushel corn, 32 bushel soybeans. How do you make money on that? It is just one of those years where we are going backwards. Well, Donald, you're right. And that is actually where crop insurance, Agricor, really has that good fit. And as well as the other stability programs, egg stability, but in particular, when you get down to a 60 or a 59% yield, then at least if you have 80%, coverage it's going to take you back up if you have 90 percent coverage it takes you back up that much further nobody ever gets rich off insurance it's not what it's there for but it's there for years like that so really feel sorry for the growers in those regions clearly way too wet early no rain at all through the summertime and then got wet again in the fall the perfect storm of just crappy weather. Hopefully, 2020 is going to be better than that. We're going to have great weather, great crops. Uh, Mother Nature, no more four-inch rains, right? Four-inch rains in the wintertime, we don't like them. They set records. They are bad for the winter wheat. Please, it's 2020. We want that perfect crop, absolutely. Okay, going to move on. Want to talk about Cereal Smart. And, oh, that was such a great day. I hope I hope you can go on the website and, and watch part, portions of it. I believe that some of it's going to get put up certainly it was webcast and a ton of really interesting information mike cobra doing just a super job on weed control with problem weeds in the wheat crop and some excellent questions so watch that session if you can if i get a chance sometime i might go through everything mike said but it would take quite a quite a bit of time the really interesting thing coming out of of phil needham and also out of dennis pennington both of those were our main speakers phil needham of course just a super weed agronomist excellent on equipment modifications and talks lots about proper residue spread and and a great friend dennis pennington is the wheat guy in michigan and man 
he is really starting to do some innovative stuff. So, what really caught my attention, Phil, talking about Cedar Force. We have Cedar Force on our drill as well now, thanks to Precision Plant to, for, for mounting that. And we are going to try and see if we can get a yield advantage. We have the trials in the ground now, just seeded them last fall. Phil has one year of data on Cedar Force, and with that better depth control, that better down pressure, Cedar Force is essentially the same thing we're doing on a corn planter. We're measuring the down force on the gauge wheel, making sure we're getting contact, pulling it off when we don't need as much, putting it on when we need more. Phil getting three to five bushels per acre more wheat yield when he used Cedar Force than when he used the conventional drill or the standard setting where he wasn't monitoring and changing it as he went over the field. That's, that's awesome. That's actually as good as I ever thought it would be. But then Dennis Pennington stands up and starts to talk and he is precision planting winter wheat. Has a monosem planter, plants at 1.8 miles per hour because of how fast the thing's spinning. They have to use the right disc. But when he is doing that on two years data, he now has two years data doing that, a nine bushel per acre yield increase. And that is way above what I thought it was going to be. That's like a 10% yield increase from doing a better job of seed placement. We knew that we probably were losing some yield just because we can't seem to get the uniformity, that even emergence. We've talked about that so much in corn. I, I just had this feeling it would make a difference in wheat. Dennis getting nine bushels per acre. Now, we definitely need more data. Don't say Johnson says quite yet, but it sure sets a direction for where we might head to, to take the next jump forward with agronomy and wheat yields and just give us more genetics as well. But agronomy, yep, at least we have a target. Okay, just finishing up quickly on wheat. Tim's saying, hey, Peter, got an ice crust on my wheat. Is it real that I should break that if I can? Because, you know, the wheat will suffocate underneath that. And Tim, absolutely, if it's a solid mat of ice, and the picture you sent me looked like about two inches of ice, the water had gotten away underneath. So once the water gets underway underneath, you can get some air into that wheat crop and that will give it a little bit more time to survive. It needs air. However, eventually the air underneath, the wheat plant is slowly respiring. It's taking the oxygen out of that air. And if you can't get gas exchange with the air above the ice, then the wheat will eventually suffocate. So if you can, without getting stuck or without, you know, putting your life at risk, break through that ice in a few places just to allow gas exchange, that will help the wheat underneath survive. The real challenge, of course, is where the ice hits the ground, that big circle where it actually touches the ground, Two inches of solid ice on top of wheat, on top of the ground. Man, if it doesn't melt, you're going to just have that ring of dead wheat. Nothing you can do about it. Devin from Saskatchewan saying, side band phosphorus with my nitrogen. And I'd like to do the side band rather than seed place because the way my cart is set up, I can get more acres per fill. Is there any disadvantage to that phosphorus being with the nitrogen an inch and a half away from the seed? And so, Devin, the answer is no, that really works quite well. There's actually some, some Danish research that would suggest 
keeping that fertilizer band away from right with the seed gives a little bit higher yield. Shane and I tried to replicate that. We couldn't. We saw no difference in yield, whether you were kind of in a side band or whether you were right seed placed. Remember, those wheat roots are going to hit that side band quite quickly if it's only an inch and a half away. The big challenge is how much nitrogen are you putting down there? And if you get that band too hot and the wheat roots burn off when they go into it, that's when you have a problem. But the inch and a half distance, I don't think that will hurt you at all. Okay, going to move into corn. And Larry, with just an awesome plot that he sent me, Larry Farms in Elmira. It got to be June, I forget, early June. Remember, Elmira, we're getting into, you know, not so many heat units. And so he went super short season corn. He said, you know, we're going to go to 73-day corn. Start at 91, go all the way down to 73 and I want some of that corn to mature. I want to see how it does. And it did. It matured and it yielded reasonably well. But the test weights were just right in the sewer. From 49, I think there was one at 52 or 53 pounds per bushel. But most of them were kind of running in that 48, 49 pound test weight. And Larry just saying, what is going on there? It matured. How can I have such low test weight? Well, remember... It matures based on heat unit accumulation and we definitely got there from a heat unit accumulation but in the data that Larry sent me he's a pioneer dealer he's got lots of information I looked at when that corn tasseled and it actually didn't start its grain fill until late August or even almost into September so we're counting heat but we are not counting the fact that those days are so much shorter and those hybrids didn't finish grain fill until mid-October or in the case of the 91-day hybrid, I think it was even almost into November before that grain fill process finished. Well, yeah, we're getting the heat to get us maturity, but we have no sunlight energy to pack starch into the kernel. And so despite the fact we matured, we, we just didn't have enough energy. We just simply ran out of sunlight energy to do the job we needed to do. And that's why we have that low test weight, in my opinion. Meanwhile, Leroy saying, hey, Peter, my silage is super low protein. Is it like wheat where it's just a nitrogen thing? I didn't put enough nitrogen on or what's going on? Well, I can't say for sure, Leroy, because I don't know how much nitrogen you put there. And certainly with corn, nitrogen and sulfur make protein. And if you're short sulfur on corn, that might be the problem. Highly unlikely because if you're a silage guy, you've got manure, almost for sure you've got enough sulfur. But protein takes more energy to make than starch. If we're grain fill late and we can't make enough starch to get test weight, well, maybe we didn't have enough energy in the plant, enough photosynthate to make protein either. And that might be part of that low protein message. So kind of an interesting thing to talk about. Meanwhile, Blair talking about, hey, Peter, can we do high yield corn on corn strip till? Because... We look now at this data and Laura Van Ert at FarmSmart presented data and corn on corn from the soil health parameters that we measure, corn on corn is not nearly as bad as we thought. So continuous soybeans is horrible. Continuous corn, it's not as good as some other ones, but it's much better than we expected it to be. And in some fields, growing wheat just doesn't really work. Oh, what do you mean, Blair? Growing wheat just doesn't work. In any case, corn on corn in a strip-till situation, can we get high yield? I think so. I think we can overcome many of the things that, that we're worried about. However, 
Just remember, Blair, as soon as you grow the same crop following itself, you lose 10% in yield. That number is incredibly solid unless, you know, it's a unique circumstance. Can you get high yield corn? I think the answer is yes. Do strip till right. Will you suffer some yield loss? I think the answer is absolutely. You are going to suffer some yield loss. Okay, my voice is really starting to suffer here. I'm going to skip ahead. I do, before I finish up here, want to talk about manure because lots of challenges came in with my rant last week at the end of last week's episode. I talked about manure on snow and manure on frozen ground. And interestingly enough, Ralph called in saying, hey, Peter, I'm New York State. I was driving around the area. You know, the area of New York State I'm in, we have some really significant hills. And those hills almost always lead to the bottom, to water courses. And I am so just devastated at the amount of manure that was spread on snow, on frozen ground, on hill slopes that are going right into those water courses. We just, we have to do better than that. Ralph, I'm 100% there with you. I don't care if it's Ontario, it's Manitoba, it's New York State, Michigan, wherever. We just have to get better than that. And so let's continue to focus on figuring that that one out. Meanwhile, a whole lot of the people that have that manure are saying, okay, wait a minute, Peter, just wait a minute. If I put the manure on and I can plow that manure in, the frost isn't that thick, I can actually plow that manure in within 24 hours. Is it really that bad? And the answer is nope. If you can plow it in, if you can actually incorporate it, then the manure issue goes away. Now, I would say as soon as you plow it, you get that four-inch rain we just had. Man, that soil is no longer protected from a water erosion or a wind erosion standpoint. So the plow has its own challenges. But from a nutrient management manure standpoint, as long as you can plow it in, that's okay. The problem is that so many people are not doing it or the, the absolute worst case is when you put it on you know four or five inches of frost there's no way you can do any tillage and it's going to take a long time for that frost to come out of the soil and until it comes out of the soil well man that manure it's just it's just subject to moving where we don't want it to move 100 percent the other comment that came in from edwin saying hey peter you talked about liquid manure on snow what about dry is dry on frost or on snow is it just as bad and come on edwin manure is manure is manure is liquid worse maybe slightly because it's not as organic and the organic portion of that dry manure would not move as easily but in that dry manure there is still soluble phosphorus there is still bacteria and all those other things that that the rainwater will leach out and if it's moving across the soil then dang it it's manure is manure is manure Okay, my voice is done. I need to go give, give it a break. That's it. That's all. On behalf of the team here at realagriculture.com, this is a croaky wheat peat with the word for Wednesday, the 22nd of January. Okay, keep those questions coming, the messages coming, because I'll need more stuff to talk about next week. And that's exactly what I will do next Wednesday. Talk to you then. Mm-hmm.